You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Thank you, Pastor Brett. Uh, got to meet Brett uh, a couple of weeks ago. Came down to visit uh, Meldon and Brett was in the office. So uh, it's good to have them here at Hope Bible Church. I think last time I was here was still called Harvest. So things are changing, but it's so good to be with you again this morning, and um, thank you for leading us to the throne, and uh, I would love to just commit the next moments to the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for what you've already done in our midst. You have uh, been front and center. Lord Jesus, we love you, Uh, and this Thanksgiving weekend, we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. And, uh, and so I pray now that you would incline our hearts towards you, Lord, uh, this week uh, for probably all of us at one juncture or another, our hearts have been inclined away from you. And so we just want to repent of that and, and admit that um, our, our natural propensity is to wander. And I pray that this morning, uh, as you gently speak to us again by your spirit, through your word, that you'd recalibrate our hearts towards you. So incline our hearts towards you. I pray that you'd Um, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your law. We want to see from you. We want to hear from you, not what Steve Jantz has to say or Pastor Brett or anybody else. God, we want to hear from you. So open our eyes to the truths of your word. I pray that you unite our hearts this morning, that you'd give us an undivided heart. Um, For some, the turkey's already in the oven and uh, they're watching the clock. And for others, it'll be tomorrow. But there are activities that we anticipate and look forward to. These are gifts from you, but I pray for these next moments that you would unite our hearts, help us to be undivided, help us to hone in on what you have to say. And then also, as King David prayed, I pray that this morning you would satisfy us, that we would be glad all the day long. We know that drinking from you, from the well of living water, will bring ultimate satisfaction. And so we need that again this morning. So satisfy us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Brett and the team uh, were singing this morning and leading us in singing. And I don't know if you noticed, there was a theme, at least in the first few uh, songs that we sang about eternity and about uh, looking forward to the day when we're gonna be with Jesus. And if you know Jesus this morning, then uh, that is your future, it's our our glorious hope. Uh, we talk about being glorified one day, being even um, freed and saved from the very presence of sin. Uh, this past week, I had the privilege of making some phone calls. I'm uh, a board member with One Hope Canada. It used to be called Canadian Sunday School Mission. Anybody ever hear of the CSSM? Oh, there's a few of you. Canadian Sunday School Mission. Uh, Sarah and I started our ministry years ago. Oh, yes. Uh, ushers are coming forward. If you don't have a Bible, would you just raise your hand and... and uh, inf- information for kids packets. Is that what we're calling them? Adults don't take the kids packets. I know you're tempted. Let those uh, go to the kids. And uh, yeah, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, take one. If you don't have one at home, Pastor Melton told me, he said, tell the people to take it home and read it. So that's your uh, gift from a Hope Bible Church if you don't have one. Um, so where was I? Oh, I was making phone calls for One Hope Canada. I'm on the board and Sarah and I began our ministry years ago on Prince Edward Island uh, with uh, the Canadian Sunday School Mission. And so uh, one of the things that we as a board love to do um, 
on the Thanksgiving week is phone some of our partners, some of the people who have been praying for us and um, supporting the ministry. And so I phoned an, uh, an elderly gentleman in Three Hills, Alberta this past week, and, um, and he answered very uh, delightful voice, and, and I could tell he was sharp, and he told me almost right off the hop that he was 94 years old. So I'm talking to this 94-year-old guy who obviously loves Jesus. And I could tell from his name that it was actually not a typical um, English background name. So he tells me he's actually from Holland. And years ago, as a young man, he flew from Holland, or I guess probably came on ship actually, on ship to Canada. And, he, and these were his exact words, I came to make a lot of money in Canada. And then he met Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade, and everything changed for him. He said that he realized that money, the pursuit of money, wasn't his thing, uh, that, it, that there was something much greater. And he actually ended up working at Prairie Bible Institute for many, many years, Prairie Bible College. And, uh, and he was so happy, so excited about what God was doing with uh, One Hope Canada and excited to be part of that ministry. Um, and, then, and then he said this. At a, as a 94-year-old, he said, but, but you need to know the best for me is yet to come. He says, I'm so excited to go to heaven soon. And the reality is, if you're 94 years old, uh, just typically by, you know, getting old, he's closer to heaven than most of us in this room. You might be 95, then you're technically closer to heaven than he is. But you know what I mean. I mean, we could be driving home today to Salmon Arm, and, and we could end up in heaven. I, I understand that, but, but if God is kind and gracious, then this gentleman in Three Hills, Alberta, is closer to heaven than we are today, most of us. And he was so excited to go to heaven one day, full of gratitude. And I'm thinking, man, what a way to, to encourage my heart on this Thanksgiving weekend. And my thought as I was listening to him uh, talk to me uh, went to a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is just sort of some introductory remarks. And, and the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's encouraging them to be faithful in giving financially to help the needs and supply the needs of those who are, are needing some financial support. And he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Are you, are you thankful today? Are you thankful like Arendt? That was his name. Are you thankful like him? Are you anticipating your future? Thanks for reminding us of that this morning as we were singing. Are you, are you excited? Are you anticipating a better day yet to come? Is it producing in you thanksgiving? And, and Paul carries on and says, you know, you're going to give and your generosity is going to contribute to help those uh, who need help. And then he says this in verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And we know what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, in context with God's grace being poured out and the gospel earlier on in the chapter and later on, again, gospel focus, the inexpressible gift of God is... The gospel, it's the cross, it's the work of Jesus on your behalf and on my behalf. And this morning, can I just remind those of you who know Jesus that you have tasted 
of that inexpressible gift and your heart should respond in great thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving should be just part of our nature. It should be a benchmark for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, Your life should be the epitome of gratitude and thankfulness. Your life should be so saturated with gratefulness for Jesus and the gospel uh, that when people come in contact with you, they should they should actually query about the hope that you have. And then you've got to be ready to tell them about it. And so this inexpressible gift is what I want to talk to you about and what your responsibility and my responsibility is as a follower of Jesus. So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, we find um, some stunning words, actually some staggering words that Jesus makes. Uh, you, for, for many of you, this is not going to be an unfamiliar passage. For some of you, this might be the first time you're actually turning to Matthew 28 or hearing these verses. But if you've known Jesus for uh, any amount of time or for a bit of a longer time, you're going to know that this text is Jesus just before he ascends into heaven. He gathers his followers, his disciples, and he gives them a commission. This is called the, what, what, what do we, what, what's the, the great commission collective? There you go. So, There's a reason why um, Hope Bible Church Kelowna is part of the Great Commission Collective. It's based right here, Matthew 28, the commission or the commandment. Jesus gives a a commission, uh, a sending off to those who are his followers. So so this morning what I want to do is I want to show you from this text a main statement. I want to give you, and some some observations from that that main statement. Then I'm going to give you three illustrations from Jesus' life. And then I want to just challenge you with two applications for your life today. So, kind of know the roadmap, where we're going to be going. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And there are in Mark and also in Luke um, a similar uh, um, review of what Jesus said here, a little bit different words, but this is what we know as the Great Commission. And what I want you to see, and these stunning words that we see, um, there's two, two things that I want you to see in verse 16, or verse 18 rather, specifically. First of all, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That word authority is an important word. The word authority in the Greek um, means the right, the liberty, the power to do something. It has the, the idea that, that God has, the, Jesus has the right and the might to enforce obedience or, or, or to, to, to demand something with zero hindrance. And so that's important to understand that there's this idea that, that Jesus has power and right to say something to you and you should respond in quick obedience. It's the idea. So he's got authority. It has this idea that, that he is able to tell us stuff and we would just simply respond. I was working uh, on a farm in... Manitoba during my Bible college years, and um, uh, they were gracious to keep me on all summer long, not just for seeding and then harvesting in the fall just before college started, but they kept me on in July as well, uh, the end of June, and, and oftentimes they were looking f- to keep me busy. 
And um, there's this one particular hot July day when Leonard, my boss, said to me, Steve, um, just on the northwest corner of our farm property, there are four old tin bins. And we may not need them this fall, but we should get them ready in case we have a bumper crop. So if you could just take the trike, that was before we had quads. This was way back then, right? right? So if you could take the trike and, uh, and a little trailer behind the trike, take some shovels, go to those bins and clean them out, please. It was hot. It was like 35 degrees, Manitoba weather, humid. So I get over there and I open the door to the first bin and the smell nearly knocked me on my butt. Any farmers from the prairies here at all? We've got a few, okay. So you will identify with this, sir. Old, rotten canola seed. I'm gonna tell you something. Lindberger cheese has nothing on that. So um, I had to go in there, and for the next few hours, I cleaned that bin out, and it was crusty on top, but as soon as you broke that crust with the shovel, that smell just kind of, and it was not very pleasant, and I was sweating, and I was breathing, and I was not a happy camper. But I did it. I didn't complain. I didn't go to Leonard and say, you know what, Leonard? I don't think I'm going to do that. You should go do that. Why did I not do that? Because Leonard had authority over me. He had the right, and he had the liberty to enforce obedience on me. Because if I said no to Leonard, guess where I'd be? Well, I'd probably be without a job. And so he had the authority in my life. The, the, he had the, um, the, the, the power and the right to enforce obedience uh, in my life. So can you just superimpose Jesus' authority on your life just for a moment? Just think about this. The many things that God has said to you in his word. How you doing with that? Are you being obedient? He's got authority. Here's a second observation that I want you to see is that he has all authority. It says that here. It says he has all authority and, and you know where he has all authority? Everywhere. It says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to say much about it other than to say that Jesus is all supreme. He's all preeminent. He's all sovereign. He's above all things and Jesus has the right and the authority, the liberty, the power to do anything, ask anything, command anything, and do it anywhere and with anybody. That's what we read here. This is Jesus speaking. And he's reminding us that not only does he have authority, he's got it everywhere. He is supreme overall. Why? Because Jesus is God and Jesus is creator. Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 1, For by him all things were created in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So here's Jesus' statements. And they should, at the very least, make us stop for a moment and say, I need to listen to this. If Jesus has all authority... And he's all, he has all authority both in heaven and on earth. Maybe I should listen to what he's saying to me. I want to give you three short stories from Jesus' life to demonstrate the kind of authority, the kind of power that Jesus has, where he can actually enforce obedience on something. 
And hopefully it will stir in our hearts to think about our own life and our own obedience to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, here are three short illustrations, and then we'll come back to the text, and I want to make some application. But the first one is Luke chapter 4. So if you're in Matthew, skip over a couple of uh, books to the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 4, we find this first illustration, this first story of Jesus. In verse 31, we read this. And what I want you to see, there's a few things that I need you to see here, is there's this setting, there's going to be a conflict, there's going to be a confrontation, and then there's going to be a response. But just let's read this first. Verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished, they were amazed at his teaching. Watch now, for his word possessed authority. Same word that we find in Matthew chapter 28, power. His word possessed power, authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And that demon cried out with a loud voice and said, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I, I, I've, um, there have been, there, I've, in my experience over the years, a few times when I've been preaching and somebody has just kind of publicly gotten up and confronted me. It is rather unnerving, so please don't do it today. <laughs> just stay seated. It's easier for me. You get up and start, you know, we start bantering back and forth. It just is, it's not great. And so Jesus is teaching an unbelievable story on a Sabbath, and this demon-possessed man confronts, actually it's not the man, it's the demons, confront Jesus while Jesus is teaching and says, I, we know who you are. What have, you, what have you come for? Have you come to, to destroy us? Now look at Jesus' response. Remember, Jesus was teaching with authority and the people were amazed. It says this in verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him, the demon, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm, and they, the people in the synagogue on the Sabbath, were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the, in the surrounding region. That's, that's an amazing story. So the setting we know was Jesus' habit to go to the synagogue. He taught, he was recognized as as, as something other than other teachers because it says here they recognize that he spoke with authority, with the right to enforce obedience. That's the kind of authority that Jesus spoke with. And the con confrontation was clear. And, uh, and we need to remember, as we're reading this, remember his word possessed authority. It possessed power. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, so this, this is a demonstration of all authority. Even the heavenly realms, the demons, obey when Jesus speaks. When Jesus speaks, demons obey. It's just not an option for them. Demons don't say, well, just they, there's no negotiation with Jesus when Jesus speaks to demons. There's no kind of, hey, let's make a deal. Let me, let, we'll, we'll behave ourselves, but don't cast us out. When Jesus speaks, demons obey because he is supreme over all because he is sovereign over all because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's story number one. Here's the second story. So Luke, just go over to chapter eight and we find another very interesting story. And 
We pick it up in verse 22. Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Once again, we're going to see a setting and a conflict and the confrontation and then the response. On that day, he got into a boat with his disciples, verse 22, and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went, to, uh, to, went and woke him to Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. If you look at this story in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples actually say to him, Master, don't you care? You ever feel that way when, this, when, when you're in the middle of a storm and you think that Jesus is sleeping? You sometimes feel like God doesn't care right now. And the reality is he does care because he knows exactly what's going on. And, and so here they say, Master, we're perishing. And remember, these are seasoned fishermen. So this is not, um, th this must have been quite a storm for them. These guys, they, they understood storms. They understood wind. They understood how to, how to move a vessel along properly so that they wouldn't capsize, that they wouldn't perish. But, but this got to the point where there was such fear in these seasoned fishermen that they realized we're dead. So they wake Jesus up, we're perishing, and Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and they were, there was a calm. It would have been amazing that night. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Remember, his word possessed authority. His word possesses power. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Remember, don't forget it. And as the disciples are hearing this just before Jesus ascends, I can't help but wonder if maybe they're thinking about some of these very things. And, and when he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, they are saying, yeah, that's true. We've seen it. We've seen demons obey and we've even seen nature obey. When Jesus speaks, nature obeys. It's not an option for nature. There's no dialogue with Jesus when Jesus speaks to nature because Jesus is supreme over all because he's sovereign over all and because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so when Jesus speaks, demons obey. When Jesus speaks, nature obeys. Here's a third illustration. So you're in chapter eight. Go back one chapter to chapter seven. And we see another wonderful story of Jesus' power and his authority. Verse 11. We read this. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And, son, uh, and she was, sorry, and she was a widow, and, uh, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. They were consoling her, comforting her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. <laughs> And then he came up and touched the, the, the coffin and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. I mean, you've been at a funeral before. Can you imagine this playing itself out? Jesus is there at your funeral, uh, not your funeral, but a funeral you're attending. And he, and he sees the grief of the family, the mom, the 
the, the widow lost her only son, devastated, and Jesus' heart has compassion. He goes over to the coffin and says to a dead person, young man, I say to you, arise, and the dead man sits up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people, and this report about him spread through the whole the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Remember that Jesus' word possesses authority and power, that all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And so when Jesus speaks, even death obeys. There's no negotiation with Jesus when death, obey, uh, when, when death uh, is spoken to. When, when Jesus speaks to death, death obeys. It gives us great hope, right? For you and me, those of us who know Jesus, that death, our physical death, is not the final word for us. We sang it, right? We mentioned it earlier. There's a better day coming. But oh, what a reminder here this morning that when Jesus speaks, even death obeys. No negotiation. Why? Because he's supreme over all. Because he's sovereign over all. Because he has authority over everything. Now, let's think back to the text, and you can turn back to Matthew 28 if you'd like. Those are just three simple stories. There are more that you could find but listen to the verses that we started with. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is important. Therefore, go. Or in the Greek, it's therefore, as you go. And I think I've probably said this here at Hope Bible Church before. But whenever you see a therefore, you should ask, wherefore is the therefore, therefore? Right? When Jesus uses that word therefore, he's referring to something. And typically, that word therefore should take your mind back as you're studying the Bible at home, your devotions, you see a therefore, it's like, why is Paul, why is Peter, why is Jesus saying therefore? And the therefore is linked to all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, because this statement is true, because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, because that is a true statement, I need you to understand something. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So let me ask you, follower of Jesus here at Hope Bible Church, how you doing? How's your obedience response been lately to Jesus? When's the last time you shared Jesus with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? It's a fair question to ask. If, if this is your commission, and this is my commission, that as I am going, I'm to be making disciples, telling them about Jesus, telling them everything that he's taught, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then I should ask myself, and you, brother, sister, should ask yourself, how's my obedience response been lately? And specifically, how are you doing with this command? As you're going, are you making disciples at home, in your neighborhood, at work, with your hockey team that you play with, or whatever it is? Let me, let me ask you this. Are you as obedient, as obedient to Jesus' authority as demons are? Do you obey like demons? Or, or do you think that you can negotiate with Jesus? 
When he speaks, do you obey as quickly as nature obeys? When Jesus commands, do you immediately respond like death does? It's the shocking truth is, if you're like me, the answer is no. There are often times when Jesus says something to me, and particularly in this context of being on mission, that when Jesus speaks to me, I negotiate with him. I try to make a deal with him, or worse yet, I just ignore his command in my life. And isn't it stunning and maybe even shocking that if you know Jesus today, you've been called from darkness to light, you've been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus, you've been regenerated and you've been brought from deadness to life, you've been justified and reconciled and adopted, you've tasted of God's immeasurable love, his grace, his mercy, you've been given purpose in this life, the life that you live, you're filled with joy and satisfaction in Jesus, you've got abundant life, you've been promised eternal hope, heaven is real, it's ours, yet how often is it in our lives that we balk, hesitate, delay, ignore the words and commands of Jesus to us? It should stop us in our tracks, shouldn't it? Like, like if you think about these stories that we just saw that are true and they're based on this fact that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. And we, we hesitate, we resist, we balk. It, it, should, it should do something like internally, unless you're obedient all the time, which I know you're not because you're human and you're flawed and, and you struggle with um, life stuff and your flesh Though it's died with Christ, somehow is this uncanny way of crawling off the cross and alluring you away from Jesus. And so the challenge then is that I want to remind you that the gospel-saturated life, the one that's on mission, the one that's to be as you're going in life, you should be a witnesser, a gospel proclaimer, a disciple maker, that that kind of gospel-saturated life is not optional for any follower of Jesus. Jesus isn't giving us a choice here. He's not like, if you think it's a good idea on, on Tuesday when you go back to work, kind of take this into consideration. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm commanding you to do this. This is something that you should be doing it. And Jesus has been crystal clear about this. He has all authority and all power, and he's commanded us to be involved in gospel ministry everywhere we go. Therefore, as you are going, give yourself to the gospel ministry. So, Steve Jantz of 15 years ago, well, let's say 20 years ago, I'll think back to um, 20 years ago in uh, McDermott Drive Alliance Church, or even further back when I was pastoring in Prince Edward Island, this is probably where I would have ended my sermon. I would have said, okay. Brother, sister, it's here. And I, and I might have even as a pastor laid down a little bit of guilt at this juncture. It's like, <laughs> demons obey, what's wrong with you? Nature obeys, you should obey. Death obeys, you should be quicker to obey than all of these because you've been blood-bought, redeemed. And, and in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that kind of a challenge. And we need to hear that. That's, that's clear in this text this morning that we should, because of his authority, respond quickly to what he says, there should not be any hesitation, but, but I want to take this, that was sort of a, a very text-specific application, but what I want to talk to you about is a, a broader challenge with this in mind now, 
Maybe I can say this. Perhaps one of the reasons that you and I hesitate in our obedience is that we don't actually love the commands of Jesus or we don't actually love the truth. Let me say that again. Could it be that one of the reasons why I hesitate in my obedience to Jesus or I I'm not quick to respond is because I don't love his commands and I don't love his truth. Um, One of our staff members uh, is taking, we have a a master's program at Miller. And so this past summer, he was taking a course out in our Saskatchewan campus in Pemberton. Bruce Ware, who's a prof down at Southern, was teaching the course. And uh, David came back and said, um, he, he challenged me in my role at the college in Sunnybrae, because we, we say this often to our students, you should surrender, you need to submit to what God says. Submit to it. Jesus has said that you should be, in this text, on mission. You're supposed to be, as you're going, making disciples. And it's true that we need to submit to that, right? We should surrender to that. But he said, this is what Bruce Ware had said in class, and this thought has been percolating in my mind since back in May or June. This has been something that I've been thinking about and feel compelled to share it with you this morning. Surrender to what God has said in his word, submission to the truth, surrender and obedience to whatever God has told us is only half a response for followers of Jesus. You need to do it. You need to submit. You need to surrender. But to bring our response all the way home, we need to come to the point of loving what God has said and is saying in his word. We need to love the truth. We need to love Jesus' commands. We need to love to obey whatever God has said to us. And maybe the reason I'm not obedient and quick is because I actually don't love what he's telling me to do for whatever reason. It could be sin. It could be that my focus is wrong. Maybe my circumstances are really difficult and and my focus is on my circumstances. And so when Jesus says something, it's like, I know I should do it, but I really don't want to. You see, you do the things that you love, right? Would you not agree with me? I'm going to eat turkey tomorrow. Nobody's going to have to force me to the table. <laughs> right? You know why? Because I love turkey. That's why. Oh, there's a car show in Kelowna? I'll go down there and spend eight hours in the blazing sun in the middle of July. Sign me up. Why do I do that? Because I love cars. I'll spend... Six hours roasting coffee this weekend? Why? Nobody's holding a gun to my head. I love to do it. We do the things that we love. So do you love the things that God has said in his word? Or are you just submitting and surrendering it? And, and, and it is a serious, serious thing for us to do that. Please hear me clearly. I'm not for a minute suggesting that you don't surrender. I'm not for a minute suggesting that you don't submit because you need to. You, you, you must. Because all authority has been given to him. So, so don't hear me. Don't leave saying, oh, I guess I don't need to submit. Or if I'm not submitting, then that's, you, you must. It's critical, critical. It's, ser- it's a serious matter for us as followers. We do need to surrender to Jesus' commands to be involved in gospel ministry. But just simply submitting to what God has said Doing it, obeying what he said without affection, without gladness, without joy, without loving it, simply does not bring glory to God. My mom and dad are here visiting from Manitoba. They escaped the snow this past week. They're rejoicing in Jesus that they're out here in British Columbia. 
Now, my mom used to make me clean my room. She's German. She's a little bit militant that way. Make sure, <laughs> make sure your room is clean. You know how often I clean my room dr- with drudgery and duress? Like a lot. Go clean your room, Steve. I go clean my room. Stupid room. Stupid mom. Got to clean. That's, I mean, she's not stupid, but that's what teenagers say, right? You're laughing because you've said it, right? You know what I'm saying. You know, young people, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, everything's stupid. This world's stupid. Clean my room. And you know what? After half an hour, you know what my room was? Clean. I surrendered to her. I submitted to her. Did she get glory for that? No. I was just doing it because she told me to do it, because she had authority in my life. She brought me into this world to take me out. So I did it because I knew it would be trouble if I didn't. But that brings no glory to her. Nor does your obedience just out of duress, I'm going to suck it up and, and... yeah, I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel with people. That's why I have to do that. That doesn't honor him and glorify him. You do it because you love to, because he means everything to you. you your life's been changed, and you want to honor him and glorify him, and so you do it because you love him. Not, and my fear is so often in our churches, we, we do stuff out of religious duty and not out of love. God's not honored and glorified with that. He wants you to love the truth. You know what? The reality is that it might be really hard. I want to make this simplistic. Your obedience to Jesus, to what he says, and maybe even this particular command, might be really hard. Happy, glad, joyful obedience might, from a human perspective, be really difficult, tough, hard, even nonsensical, it might look really silly in some of the circumstances we face. And it might be really tough to love the truth and his commands in that moment. But can you? The answer is yes, you can. Not in your own strength, but with the grace that God supplies and with his help. Hebrews chapter 12. Can I just show you a shocking word, because we need to look to Jesus. If, if, if what I'm saying is, if there's any truth to this, we need some sort of an example that I don't just obey out of obligation, but I'm doing it out of a heart that loves what Jesus has said and a love for, for his commandments and for his truth. We're, 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 in, our con, in our society today, we are so under attack with cultural pressures, Right? That some of the things that we actually take a stand on certainly are not popular in our, in our culture today. It's hard to take a stand on the whole gender sexuality context in British Columbia or in anywhere in Canada to say, no, there's actually just two genders. That's a hard thing in our culture to say, this is what I believe And then if you push that a little bit further and say, I actually believe that though men and women are created equal, that God has a specific role for men and and they're supposed to rise up and lead God in a godly, loving, Christ-like way. That is not popular in our context today. You take a stand for that, it's not going to be easy. 
to love that? So, 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 so what I found often is people say, well, I'll submit because I believe that's what it says, but I don't like it. That's not what God wants of you. He wants you to love his truth. He wants you to love it. So here we find Jesus. And you, you remember Jesus at that, at that pinnacle of sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what? He's praying to his heavenly father. He's hours away from taking your sin on himself. And he's crying out to his heavenly father. And he's in such agony that he's sweating. Sweat drops of blood. That's how, the kind of agony that he's in. And he says, Father, if it's possible, would you take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So this was not easy. This was not an easy thing for Jesus. And yet he demonstrates to us in this beautiful picture what it is to not just do the Father's will, but to love the Father's will. To love what Jesus, what his father had commanded. To love the truth of who his heavenly father was and who he was as God. We read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Watch now. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't go to the cross grudgingly. He didn't go reluctantly. Well, humanly speaking, there was this tension for sure, but, but he didn't go to the cross as hard as it was with this grudging, murmuring, childlike, okay, I guess I'll go to the cross if I have to. Stupid cross. Never said that. It's why he came. He knew why he was coming. He actually went willingly, and he went humbly, and here it says with joy. With joy. So, when Jesus commands, will you respond not just because he's commanded, which you should. That should be your just default. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. But then to say, oh God, would you give me a love for this? I want to love your truth. I want to love your commands. Psalm 119, some stunning words. And, and they're, they're, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around some of this, but would you just look at verse 41 of Psalm 119? Let your, watch, watch, how, watch how David talks about truth and commandments and then how he links love and delight to that. That's really important in this text. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. That's his word. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. You want an answer? For the people who are going to taunt you for what you believe, go to the promises of God. That's what David is saying here. I trust, for I trust in your word. You've said something, I'm going to trust it. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. God, you've, you've given me rules. I'm going to put my trust there. Watch now, not grudgingly, not out of, oh, I guess I have to submit myself, though he is surrendering. I'm putting my trust there is surrender. I'm trusting. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever, not grudgingly. I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. Watch now. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, Oh, God, that you'd give us a heart like that. 
That it wouldn't just be obedience for the sake of obedience, though that's not bad because he does have all authority in heaven and on earth and can demand anything of us. Oh, but that we'd be like this. I delight in your laws. I delight in your commands. Oh, Jesus, when you speak, it, it makes my heart sing because I love you and I love what you say. Would God help us with that? It's going to make being on mission way easier. Out of obligation, like, okay, I guess I got a hmm, witness here. As opposed to just saying, I get to, this is a, what a, what a privilege, what an honor. I get to sit next to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and I get to share my treasure with him or her. And as I'm going, I'm just always thinking about this treasure, this joy that I have with Jesus. So let me ask you, how, how, are you loving and delighting in the commands of God? Do you love and delight in his truth? Or are you just grudgingly, reluctantly, maybe even resentfully submitting and surrendering to what he said? It's why the title of the sermon is Surrendering and Loving Jesus' Authority. Do you love it? And particular to this command, to be a gospel-saturated, gospel messenger on mission, looking to share this treasure with those who don't know him so that they might taste and see that God is good on this Thanksgiving weekend. If not, maybe you're sitting here and you're like me often, my heart doesn't delight in his truth or law. I do it because I know it's what he said, but oh God, would you help me change my heart? Then you need to ask him exactly that. God, would you help change my heart? You know, one of the saddest epitaphs on anybody's tomb ever will be as a Christian? You have not because you ask not. And somehow I think we as Christians, we kind of go through this life just thinking that God knows what we need and he's going to give us what we need. And yet it says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. And we don't do it. So if your heart's not longing to delight in God's law, then why don't you just right now just say, God, I need you to change my heart. I'm asking you. I'm asking you, would you change my heart? Ask him to give you love in your surrender to what he says. Don't just ask him to give you fortitude to surrender. Ask him that, but then say, but help me to love it too. I want, I want to love what you say, Jesus. Ask him to give you love in your obedience to him and, and ask him to shift your focus from yourself to him. You, you know, here's, here's, here's the probability that if, if you're submitting or surrendering to what God has said, but you're not really loving it, there's a chance that maybe your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus might be on the thing or your circumstances and not on God. There's, there's so much I could say here. There's, there's almost this sense in 2 Corinthians or 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about um, loving the truth. And it's almost like one of the marks of a believer is that you love the truth. You don't just submit to it. You don't just surrender to it. You love it. And maybe if you're having a hard time loving the things that God has said, your eyes are focused on the wrong thing and your focus is on the thing and not on God's righteousness. Your focus is being influenced by human thinking and not biblical thinking. And so can you just ask God to help you shift your focus from the thing or the circumstance or worldly thinking to biblical thinking and on him? Ask God to help you to be intentional in shifting your focus. And then 
Hope Bible Church, as you go today with your family, tomorrow to your Thanksgiving celebrations, Tuesday, off to work, as you go hang out with your coworkers on Tuesday, or you go to your hockey game on Wednesday night, or you go into your neighborhood this week, would you be a gospel messenger? Would you be on mission? Would you be faithful in sharing this inexpressible gift that God has allowed you to taste of and wants you to share with those who don't know him yet and be faithful in loving doing that? God is greatly glorified when we find our satisfaction in him. And when we share that satisfaction with those around us, then God will be glorified. So help us, God. Father, I pray that you'd help me. These are words that are probably way easier preached spoken than lived. And I need your help with this. I confess that there are times when I surrender to you and obey you because that's what you've told me to do. But the love really is lagging behind. And I need you to help me with that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning as it pertains to this great commission to be on mission all the time as we're going, that we would not just surrender to that, but that we would love it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Be glorified in us, we pray. Amen.